Previously on the Simply Human Podcast. He thought he was going to pass gas, went to the bathroom, didn't want to do it in front of a girl, tried to do it there, and charted. <laughs> anyway, there's a mess in his pants. Coming up on episode four of the Simply Human Podcast, an interview with Dr. George Diggs, author, professor, researcher, and all-around brilliant guy. We talk about his book, Whale Blubber, What Three Foods to Avoid, A 2,000-Pound Pumpkin, Why Exercise is Not a Good Way to Lose Weight, and How to Mimic Today How Humans Used to Live in the Wild. In today's Humans Being Human segment, Vinny Tortorich gets a cavity search and our Simply Human Tip of the Week. Find me online at simplyhumanlifestyle.com, which will link to the Facebook page and YouTube channel. On Twitter, at simplyhuman52. And our Simply Human Kids page, simplyhumanlifestyle.com slash simplyhumankids. Email the show at simplyhumanlifestyle at gmail.com. And now, our interview with Dr. George Diggs. We are joined by Dr. George Diggs, uh, author, professor, and uh, has been at Austin College in Sherman since 1981. He's a, a professor of biology, teaches introductory plant and evolutionary biology, evolution and human health, models of scientific thought. So you can understand why I would want to have, have him on the Simply Human uh, podcast. I actually heard him on the Jimmy Moore Living La Vida Low Carb show uh, and just was like, okay, I need to have this guy on. I emailed him that day. He emailed me right back, and it's just been a, a, an honor to have just any sort of communication with you, Dr. Diggs. Welcome to the Simply Human podcast. It's it's my pleasure, Mark, and please call me George. All right, George, I can do that. Um, well, I guess, first of all, let's just let's talk about your book. Um, it's The Hunter-Gatherer Within Health and the Natural Human Diet, Science-Based Eating to Match Our Genetics and Evolution, and it, it was published this year right is that right i mean it's, it's just right now, early now. this year and mm-hmm. so just why did you write the book and just sort of what is it about well um as you mentioned i teach a course called um evolutionary health and evolution and human health or evolutionary medicine and so that was one motivation but i also have a colleague and my co-author dr carrie brock and she was simultaneously teaching courses in nutrition and so we began to collaborate because we were teaching these college courses, but we didn't really have a book that we felt was appropriate to use with students. And so we tried to write the book in a manner that could be easily understood by, by people. And our target audience was um, kind of a general audience, but specifically we were aiming it at college students who, um, you know, can read well, can understand things well, but just hadn't been exposed to the kinds of information that, that we were interested in, in exposing them to. Great. So that's so, why we wrote the book, because, and we now use it as a textbook in a number of classes. Perfect. The, the other good part about that is you have a captive audience that, that has to, that's the, that's the thing in like writing a book. If you have an audience that, that has to buy the book, then you, there you go. That's, that's a great way to do it. Well, yeah, and, and you know, unfortunately, um, when, when we started writing the book, there just really wasn't a lot available. There are some great books out there, but they're not really aimed at the kind of target audience we were aimed at. So um, that's, that's basically what was our motivation, and also to try to help people. We, you know, we have full-time jobs. We're not trying to make money on the book. Right. In fact, we published it through a research institute. So you know, 
we're not making money, but we wanted to, um, you know, publish it basically because we've seen such dramatic health effects in people who have started eating what we consider, you know, a natural human diet that, um, you know, we just felt we needed to help spread the word. There are a lot of people spreading the word now, you know, people like Jimmy Moore and Rob Wolf and, and you and Mark Sisson, um, you know, there are all kinds of people doing it, but um, we're just trying to add our voice to that chorus and help people. Great. That, that's one of my main uh, goals as well. And I want to get in. You mentioned something about the health effects. I want to get into that in just a minute. But uh, what is the definition, in your opinion, what is uh, the natural human diet? Well, you know, it's interesting. When, when you look at the anthropological studies and the historical studies, there's not one natural human diet. So, you know, if we look at Eskimos, they ate an incredibly high-fat diet. They ate fish, whale blubber seal fat, things like this, You're making virtually no plants. Yeah, yeah, really, virtually no plants. On the other hand, kind of the other extreme, you can look at a group like the Catavans on an island off New Guinea, off New Guinea and they ate large amounts of, of plant material, um, vegetable material and fruits, and they also ate coconut and they had some fish, but they had a much higher carb diet. And so um, there's this tremendous spectrum ranging from one end of the macronutrient range to the other. But all of them have something in common. All of these people, and all of them are healthy, um, they ate real food. They didn't eat things that were processed. And, you know, when you come right down to it, they avoided three things. They avoided grains because they didn't have them available. They, they avoided sugars because concentrated sugars. Um, they didn't have those. And they also invo- avoided what we now, it's recommended to us by standard health authorities, the um, vegetable seed oils. And none of these healthy cultures um, had access to those things. And it's fascinating, once those things were introduced into some cultures, the people who were studying them at the time these things were introduced, they find out that the health of these people basically collapsed within a couple of generations. So you introduce particularly sugar and flour and it's shocking what what happens. Now, and we see this time after time. In, in your research and your experience, uh, and this is just something, I don't know if there's any any science to back this up, but it seems to me that the, there's an inverse uh, relationship between the distance from the equator and the the number of carbs uh, eaten by you know the the natural or or I guess the ancestral people in that area. So, in other words. People closer to the equator have more carbs, there's more sunlight, and then as you go up in the Arctic away from the equator, there seems to be less an adaptation for carb need. Is that, is that something that you've seen? Well, um, there's certainly fewer carbs available as you get further from the equator. So I'm teaching an advanced botany course right now to my college students, and we, we go on field trips virtually every week. And one of the things I talk to my students about is we're out collecting plants, and walking through the natural ecosystems in in North Texas here, um, there is precious little in the way of plant material to eat. So if if I had a group of 10 people and we had to start finding food right now to try to get us through the winter and we could not eat any animals, it would be almost impossible because, you know, the fruits that are available are very small and very low in sugar, and there are, you know, there just aren't many of them. And there's just not a lot of, of plant material that's edible. So many plants are toxic. 
And in fact, that's one of the other reasons I initially became so interested in this. I'm a, I'm a evolutionary botanist. And one of the things I, I've studied are plant toxins. And it's shocking, actually, how many plants have toxins when you really begin to look into it. Uh, that, that one because, thing that I tell people, because uh, sometimes I'll, I'll say, you know, fruits, you, fruits are bad. Like, what are you talking about? Fruits are bad. I'm like, well, I'm not saying fruits are bad, but if if bananas aren't growing in your backyard, maybe bananas aren't the best choice. And and that's kind of what I hear what you're saying. Like, look, go out and look around, eat eat things that are that are native to your area or especially where the area that your genes developed, and, and that's the kind of food that you should be eating. Right, because, you know, take, for example, um, fruits and vegetables. Humans, through the process of artificial selection, you know, we've bred for bigger and bigger things and for sweeter and sweeter things. And so um, it's shocking what has happened. You know, Mark, right now, um, the world record pumpkin weighs over 2,000 pounds, 2,009 pounds. That, that is a metric ton. <laughs> yes, it in fact weighs more than some of the early Volkswagen Beetles. Wow. Now, you know, that humans would not find things like that growing in the wild. In fact, we know what the ancestor of, the wild, of this giant pumpkin is. One of my colleagues is a pumpkin expert, and um, it's a little thing about the size of a softball, not even quite the size of a softball. It, it was native to South America. Well, um, but we can say the same thing about apples. You know, we have these gigantic apples now. You go to the grocery store, they're huge. And there's nine different types, yeah. Right, gigantic grapes that are just basically bags of sugar. Well, I can find wild grapes around here, and they're not like that. And they also have a lot of the naturally occurring um, beneficial phytochemicals in some of the wild species. So, you know, what we've done to things through artificial selection has changed the foods we eat. So I, I'm a big believer in um, eating a, a wide variety of things. And in fact, I have berries, a small, you know, small amount of berries many mornings because there are some beneficial chemicals in there, I think. But, um, you know, I don't think it's appropriate for humans to eat, you know, four or five giant servings of bananas and things like that because, um, you know, that can have blood sugar consequences right like the guy i guess durian rider who claims that he eats uh, 30 pounds of banana or eats like is it 30 pounds of, of fruit a day and i think most of it is in bananas which i don't even see how that's possible but that's another discussion um right <laughs> yeah. uh, okay so every semester you have new students coming in uh for the most part i'm sure you have some some repeaters uh I'm sure you get this a lot, the, the sort of the weird looks and as you're kind of explaining the first time and, and your students thinking, wait a second, this, is, this isn't exactly what I've been taught my whole life. So how do you, what do you say to the students that are like, this is, this is ridiculous. I'm eating, I'm going to have oatmeal and toast and orange juice for breakfast like I always have done. Right. Well, one of the things that I think helps is that I approach it from the standpoint of critical thinking and trying to, to communicate to the students how the scientific process works. And so when, when I present stuff, I present them with evidence. So we look at some of the studies. We look at some of the, um, the actual science that it's based on. What does the evidence say? What does the evidence say about how much sugar is in a glass of orange juice or a glass of apple juice? And when you actually look, you find out that a glass of apple juice, for instance, ounce for ounce is approximately the amount of sugar in a Coca-Cola. 
Um, and so if you drank a Coke's worth of apple juice, you've, you've got probably about somewhere between 9 and 10 teaspoons of sugar. And sugar is well, sugar in the body. Sugar is sugar. Yeah, the sugar right. your body doesn't say, "Well, this is a coke, so I'm going to do I'm going to put this in the body in a negative way and oh, this is orange juice and that's that's a fruit, so I'm going to react positively to this fruit juice." Right. And then I try to then I talk to them about, "Okay, how much sugar is actually in your blood, in the blood of a normal human being?" It turns out you can do the calculations and if a person is normal, they have about a teaspoon um, of sugar in their blood circulating at any one time. And the body tries to carefully regulate how much sugar is in the blood. You need some, but if you have too much, that causes all kinds of cellular damage because this, the sugar basically sticks to, or it's technically called glycates, some of your proteins. And that's why people with type 2 diabetes um, often have health problems, why they have eye problems and nerve problems and kidney problems, things like that. Right, you're you're talking about damage. The, the advanced glycation end products or the ages. Exactly. And then exactly. uh, and, and insulin just kicks off fat storage, which kicks off uh, your food reward system getting thrown off and your hunger. And, and it's just, it, yeah, it's, it's crazy what... Uh, now, in your opinion, like, do you think insulin is like sort of regulating blood sugar? Is sort of the bottom line key, or is that is that just one of sort of the subset things of this sort of a greater uh, picture? Well, I think insulin is clearly quite important, but you know, it turns out that all of our hormones are connected. So, um, you know, there's not just insulin, but there's insulin-like growth factor, and there's there's leptin, and so once you begin to um, dysregulate or, or screw up one of your hormones, it's going to affect others. And so, you know, it, it then can kind of cascade totally out of control, and some people have, um, you know, really bad health problems as a result. Have you done research or, or uh, as far as, you know, because the Simply Human lifestyle, there's four pillars. There's eat, uh, there's move, there's sleep, and then there's just the enjoy part of it, like mitigating stress and having a good time. Well, I, I was at your website and looking at it, and I really like your approach where you put those four things in because I think they're all crucially important. Um, you know, that, the research shows they're all crucially important. If somebody's not going to sleep, if they're not sleeping appropriately, um, they're going to be in trouble no matter what. And we know, for example, from the research that um, shift workers have higher cancer rates. You know, if you're trying, if you're working at night and sleeping during the day, there's a long-term cost. And we know that, for example, people who are in jobs like um, firefighters and policemen, who have often disturbed sleep and lots of stress, they have very serious um, health consequences. Rob Wolf, who I'm sure you know about, is is working with a group now in Reno trying to um, mitigate. You know, trying to to help some of those people. Um, so we know sleep is critically important. Um, exercise. I'm not a big believer in exercise as a weight loss tool. I think, there, yeah. of ex I think the benefit of exercise is health because it turns out that, um, you know, all of this emerging research shows that when you exercise, you turn on certain genes. So you're turning on and off genes in a positive way. The whole field of epigenetics is just exploding now. And so every time you, for example, do a, a, 
um, high intensity, about of high intensity interval training, um, you're going to get a positive gene response. And hey, it's wonderful to be able to turn on the genes you want. I don't know which ones they are, but we're, you know, molecular biology can tell us that. But um, that's a great thing. So um, I, I like the saying that if if there's a fountain of youth, it's called exercise. Yeah, because, and there's and I was listening to. Another podcast this morning, and and they were talking about um, how exercise turns on and is healthy for your brain. So not only it's not just a physiological, from as far as a musculature aspect, it's a it's a brain thing, and it and it's a Alzheimer's prevention and dementia prevention. Just just getting out and moving around. And I'm with you. Exercise for weight loss, I think, is is totally just backwards. The whole calories in, calories out thing, I believe, is a is a right. flawed uh, logic. Um, but, right. uh, but yeah, it's just like the hormones, you know, eat, all the hormones are connected, like the four pillars. If you're doing three of them right, but you say you're not, you're eating, sleeping and moving like a human, but you're totally stressed all the time. You're not going to be as healthy as you can if you're, if you're enjoying life and you're sleeping good and you're eating good, but you're not exercising. So it's, I think all four of those things kind of go hand in hand is just kind of like our, the hormones. And speaking of genetics, I'm, I'm currently reading Richard Dawkins' The Selfish Gene, which I it's taking me forever because I'm highlighting just about every line and taking notes and going back over and trying to understand because it's it's really fascinating uh, getting into how what what genes are and sort of the survival uh, machines that that the human body is. It's really an interesting field. Right. Um, okay. So, what what do you tell people to do? What do you tell your students who? Are unhealthy, and maybe talk about some of those health uh, effects and changes that you've seen in your work over the years. Well, I basically try to get them to remove um, three things from their diet. So, bottom line, I think um, since we eat multiple times a day, since most humans eat multiple times a day, there are very few things that can affect you as much as your diet because there's this constant input of something from the outside. And so, if someone can clean up their diet, they can often have a pretty dramatic health response, even if they don't start exercising. I think for people who are particularly heavy, in fact, it's much better to start with diet, and then they'll feel better and they'll feel like exercising. So I try to get get them to eliminate what we call the three modern agents of disease. And there's a guy named Kurt Harris who has written a lot online, and he kind of coined the term neolithic agents of disease. But I I like to use the term modern agents of disease, things that we are exposed to in the modern world that our ancestors weren't. So first I tell them, um, if they can't do anything else, just get off of sugar. Get off of soft drinks, first of all. Because, you know, we all know people who drink multiple soft drinks a day. And that alone helps some people. They often drop some weight if they can just stop, particularly if they're young and healthy. Um, they can drop weight if they just get off soft drinks. Now, why? Just can, interject real quick. Why is why is it not okay to drink? Oh, but it's diet, and there's no there's no carbs or no calories in it. Why is that still not not good? Well, there are a couple of things. One is that um, many of the diet drinks are flavored with aspartame, sweetened with aspartame, and that's um, thought to be toxic for some people. And in fact. When you talk to people who have been on a lot of diet sodas, they almost they feel like they're kind of addictive. So um, that's one downside of these artificially sweetened things. Um, the other downside is that some of the, the newest research indicates that when you take in uh, artificial sweetener like this, 
it screws up your body's ability to accurately gauge how many calories are coming in, how much nutrition you're actually getting. And so the body gets confused and it doesn't really know. And so it's then kind of loses its ability to self-regulate. Because, you know, it's kind of, Marcus, I find it fascinating that we don't use the analogy of animals more. Um, if you go out and look at wild animals, and I've been very lucky, I've been able to travel a lot and in my research, and if you go to Africa, you look at lions, and they can go out and kill something if they want it, right? I mean, they're, they're huge predators, and they can, they can kill things like zebras and wildebeest, and yet they don't get fat. And they, they don't have our diseases either, but they don't get fat. Um, their bodies automatically regulate. So just like we can regulate the amount of sodium in our blood and the amount of sugar in our blood if we're healthy, um, healthy animals um, just naturally regulate their body weight. But pets, on the other hand, oh, who are exposed to these toxic things in the diet, you know, the sugars, the grains, the toxic oils, Pets um, get morbidly obese and cancer. <laughs> yeah, and they get our diseases. I have a friend right now who has to give his cat an insulin shot every day because it has diabetes. Cats did not evolve eating um, what we put in cat food. Cats evolved eating little animals. And so when you give cats um, a high carb diet, there's a there's a cost to that, right. and um, their metabolisms get screwed up. It's amazing that people don't make that connection more. Uh, that look at look in the wild and look at the zoo and I and I sort of see modern technology and civilization as sort of the the humans zoo and and we we have to figure out how to okay we okay we all understand we we all need to live in the zoo we're not going to all go you know off into Colorado and never come back so how do we live in the zoo and and still sort of simulate being being you know quote wild right I'm I 100% agree. You know, I want the benefits of the modern world, but I want to use the modern scientific research so that we can be as healthy as possible in the, in the modern world. And, you know, a lot of the scientific research is showing us that if we try to do some things that are in tune with our past, our evolution, we are going to be more healthy. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of nice when we see this stuff, that it actually matches, the predictions match. You can catch the end of the Dr. George Diggs interview on the next edition of the Simply Human podcast. should be out on October the 21st, which is a Monday. And now it is time for the Humans Being Human segment. We go back to our good friend Vinny Tortorich, who told me a couple of uh, great stories when we talked the other day. This one is a classic and includes a cavity search, guns, helicopters, uh, all wrapped and just smashed up into a five-minute classic story as only Vinny, the great storyteller, could do. Enjoy this. I lead a very, very boring life, uh, to be honest with you. I, I know everyone, whenever I say that, they go, wait a minute. You live with a Bond girl. What, what do you mean? Yeah, you, seriously. Say, well, you know, <laughs> don't don't well, give me that. <laughs> yeah, everybody goes, what do you mean you, you lead a boring life? You know, you, you, have, a, you have your very own Bond girl. Um, 
you know, probably, you know, the story that always comes to mind, because I really don't, you know, that kind of thing. I don't have any poopy stories or any time <laughs> where I peed on myself and then have to go do something. But I did have a moment. You remember the movie My Cousin Vinny? Oh, yeah. Two youths. Okay. Two, the what two youths. is a youth? Uh, Mr. Gambini, uh, what is a youth? <laughs> That's a great um, movie. My favorite is I had a Ralph Macchio moment. Now, when was the last time you even heard Ralph Macchio's name mentioned? Okay, but, he, I heard that like he's older than Mr. Miyagi was when the first Karate Kid came out. That's probably true. That made me want to vomit. So other than that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I had you know in the, in the movie My Cousin Vinny does that moment when they pull Ralph Macchio in and the sheriff says, um, uh, "So uh, we're bringing you in because." Um, you shot and killed a clerk. And Ralph Maggio goes, wait a minute. You s I shot a clerk? I shot a clerk. And you know, it's that play on words where, you know, the guy goes, wait, you, you just confessed to shooting a clerk. You know, they were using a colloquialism that Ralph Maggio was from New York, and now they're in bum F somewhere in the South. And he takes, you know, the words as being the guy confessed to shooting the clerk. Right. Right. Well, the same sort of thing happened to me when I first moved to L.A. I didn't shoot a clerk, but I wanted to. Um, what happened was I was driving down the highway and uh, I got pulled over for speeding. And um, we have I, I was from Louisiana and we have a law in Louisiana. Donaldsonville, uh, to be exact. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a law in, in, in Louisiana at the time. And. It, you know, you could carry a concealed weapon. You know, that law was enacted first in New Orleans and then it became state law. You can carry a concealed weapon, but if you have a concealed weapon in your car, if you get pulled over for any infraction, you put your hands on the dashboard and you look at the officer and you say, officer, I have a gun. Well, you know, I knew that law, and I had to use that law several times. You know, because I used to speed around. I was a lot younger. And so how, yeah. So how old were you when this took place? I was uh, 29 years old. Okay. I was in okay. LA for for a bit. You're just a punk, got, you're just a punk kid. I was just a young yeah. punk kid. So I um I get pulled over, and and I have a, a gun in my glove box. So you know, I didn't know the gun laws in California were what they are. So. I put my hands on the dashboard and the cop came up and I said, officer, I have a gun. And as soon as I said that, he, he pulls his gun on me and puts it right in my face. Oh. The guy on the passenger side puts his gun like up against the glass <laughs> and they're both yelling, freeze, don't move, don't move. And, and you've got going, your hands on the dash. Like, my hands are on the dash and I'm going, no, 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 I have a gun. It's like, and now the guy's like, you know, talking into that thing on the shoulder, you yeah. know, you got, uh, I we need backup. We got a 428. Yeah. Like I'm standing there telling the cop, listen, I have a gun. I'm telling you I have the gun. You, do you not understand I have a gun? And they're calling more backup in. Before you know it, there's like cop car, cars all around my car and the doors are swung open. And now they have like you shotguns. Can't, yeah, and AK you can't see because the me. spotlights are like in your eyes. Like, yeah, there's like helicopters. Yeah, exactly. Over. Now the helicopters are coming over and I'm like sitting there going, oh, my God, they think I have a gun. 
And what I'm telling them is, I have a gun. Right. Yeah. And, of course, now all this hoopla is happening, so they have to bring me in. Oh, my goodness. It, I had to get a lawyer. We had to, you know, they, they gave me some kind of expunged misdemeanor. You know, it, it, but, I mean, I ended up with eight guns drawn on me by cops, you know, and helicopters overhead, and they threw me to the ground, the whole thing. You know, where else could that happen but right. in L.A.? Like, welcome, like yeah, welcome to L.A., yeah. <laughs> and by the way, I wasn't laughing at the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, you probably thought you were about to get your head blown off. Oh, no, I had to go, and they booked me. There was a cavity search. Oh, it was the whole oh, thing. Oh, my goodness. It was yeah. horrible. Well, thank you for not just retreating back to Donaldsonville. And uh, then who knows what you would have ended up being like an alligator catcher yeah. or something, you know. By the way, which is not a bad job. No, no, but, no. That's those, those guys right. make a lot of money. Like, yeah, <laughs> but you wouldn't have the book. Well, you might have. You you probably have like the alligator catcher book, and you it would be well, like top bestseller. In in Bob Harper would still be being beat by Vinnie Porterich. Exactly. But you know the, the crazy thing is, I was a storyteller back then too. All right. Thanks to Vinnie Tortorich and George Diggs for their contributions on today's show. Dr. Diggs' book is The Hunter-Gatherer Within, Health and the Natural Human Diet. I'll have links to the book and where you can find Dr. Diggs in the show notes for today. And you can find Vinnie's book, Fitness Confidential, uh, on Amazon through his website. And I'll have links to all that on the show notes as well he is america's angriest trainer and that is the name of the podcast so it's time for the simply human tip of the week and it comes from today's show and a tip from dr diggs which is cut sugars grains and vegetable oils and my spin on it is try that for one week if you haven't already and see how you feel Coming up next time on the Simply Human Podcast, we'll finish the George Diggs interview and discuss why a human diet is not restrictive, how we can change the current nutrition paradigm, how grains poison you, feeding your kids, and the growing industry of male breast reduction surgery. The website is simplyhumanlifestyle.com. Email any questions or comments to simplyhumanlifestyle at gmail.com, and please if you're so inclined, leave a review, good or bad, here on iTunes. Tell a friend or Stitcher, wherever you're listening. And thanks for listening to the Simple Human Podcast. And remember, we're the best in So until next time, enjoy yourself.